This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. Now, some of you might notice that it sounds a bit more echoey this week. I'm actually off-site. I'm in a little boardroom somewhere recording instead of the studio like normal as COVID uh, has come along and dictated that. So hopefully you don't mind the echo a little bit. But it's lovely to have your company here on Property Matters, having a wonderful week in property. Lots of uh, news really, although it was sort of hijacked by the more major news that's going on either around the world or the protests at Parliament, etc. But there still has been news happening in the world of real estate and I thought I'd bring some to you today, of course, as we tend to do on this show. That is to uh, find a way of summarising how the market's going and so we'll get into the headlines. So this headline from Rob Stock on stuff. This is from just early March. It says asking prices for homes fell in 11 of 19 regions in February as the market calls. So that's asking prices dropping, not necessarily the sales prices. But the average asking prices for homes went backwards in 11 out of those 19 regions compared to the previous month. And that's through the advertising website realestate.co.nz. Spokeswoman Vanessa Williams said, while it is too early to call this a trend, if vendors are asking less for their properties in February than they did in January, it would suggest a market slowdown is on the way. Now, of course, there was a huge influx of properties for sale in January, for example, in Palmerston North. I think last year there was about 120 to 130 for sale in January, and this year around 460. So more choice. More choice means buyers can be a little bit more particular, can likely get what they want, and relatively speaking, a little bit less demand. There's a reason for the less demand as well, which of course is the uh, the CCCFA, which I'll talk about soon. That's the legislation that has limited the bank's ability, or at least holding the banks to account for lending Uh, and that's causing a lot of people not to get what they want. But where did the average asking prices go down? Well, compared to January, February's average asking prices were down 1.3% in Auckland, 2.7% in Waikato, 3.1% in Hawke's Bay, 3.8% in Nelson Bays, 2% in Coromandel, 2.3% in Wairapa, and 6.2% in the Central North Island. So Manawatu Wanganui doesn't feature there, although part of the Central North Island is in there. So now... Incredibly, despite the decreases, the average asking price in Auckland in February was actually almost $1.3 million. So the areas where the prices are only down less than 1% are Gisborne, Wellington, Otago and Southland. And the average asking price for a home in Wellington was over $1 million. So there's been some slight changes there. Remember, we'll see how when the stats come out as to what's happening with the sales prices. But... They say that the prices have come back. However, nationally, the average asking price is actually just over 23% more than what it was a year ago, so quite incredible. Now, prices in Manawatu Wanganui have risen in February. 
It appears sellers are unperturbed by predictions that rising home loan costs will mean buyers can afford to pay uh, less for properties. We'll see how that goes. So we actually hit record high asking prices in Manawatu, Wanganui. So you do have to be careful with, with what you read. So the national headline that was at the top of this article says nine out of 11 regions uh, prices, average asking prices dropped. However, we're at a record high in Manawatu, Wanganui at $705,000. The number of homes, as I mentioned, listed for sale is rising, and that's good news for buyers. Uh, more competition means that uh, buyers who are more motivated, I uh, beg your pardon, sellers who are more motivated to sell will take steps necessary to reduce price to make it attractive. So that's uh, quite a quite an interesting thing there. So what's going to happen? Well, with regards to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand stats of median house prices, that's something we'll keep an eye on for you uh, as they come out, probably in about a week's time, and I'll bring those to you here on Property Matters. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where those are at. I think the rate of growth is decreasing. So not necessarily the prices, but the rate of growth We've had some huge growth in uh, Manawatu, Wanganui, in some places up around 30% per annum. And so there are a large number of drivers in our region with regards to a lot of development, a lot of roading projects, military. Uh, There's just a lot of people coming into the area over the next few years, and that means that prices and demand should continue to be strong. Just going back to some Palmerston North news for a moment. Palmerston North homeowners could face a double-digit rates increase. A double-digit rates increase uh, is um, looks like it's in the discussions. And so they're having a first look at the potential rates, uh, or they have done just on Wednesday, and the, and the first volumes of plans suggest it could be a total 7% increase. But for residential ratepayers, it could be more based on the city's latest revaluations. The total increase would be slightly behind the 8.1% indicated for the second year of the Council's three-yearly review of its long-term plan, and below this year's 8.2% increase. But it's at the first draft of the consultation booklet. It's, it's sort of silent on what the rates increase might be, with rows of Xs where the proposed increase will be inserted. But it predicts there will be pressure to keep it lower than the detailed financial papers suggest could be needed. It's a tricky one. Uh, A lot of uh, large infrastructure projects are happening. Um, The wastewater is probably the largest, uh, and that really is significant. So the draft introduction acknowledges 2021 was a tough year for everyone with COVID-19 restrictions and petrol going up, mortgage rates going up, price of food increasing. And the council, just like everybody else, is seeing price hikes for everything they do, from construction to supply issues to the interest of our debt. So they do recognise it's a burden. Remember, there is uh, the ability to have some rates relief depending on your situation. Just talk to Palmerston North City Council about that. And it uh, looks they're going to try and keep it below that 10%, but that's still reasonably large. That would um, still be probably an extra uh, 300 or so, I would guess, 300 or so dollars a year per household. Uh, or close to $10 a week. But hopefully we get good bang for our buck, and that's always a a point of contention, I guess, what the rates pay for. 
Now CoreLogic's come out, just going back to the market, and saying that there's a buyer-seller standoff developing as house prices fall. Now this is a phenomenon which usually happens uh, during the property cycle, uh, when, and that means that the seller's expectations remain high while the market and buyer expectations have dipped. So one of the last property information companies reporting the house price increases now says prices are falling. And, and again, we're talking about um, uh, prices as opposed to sales. And the market is weakening quickly. CoreLogic's house price index predicted the downward trend would persist largely due to homes being generally unaffordable and buyers having more choice as a glut of properties are on the market. While the index found that prices were actually 0.8% higher in February, head of research Nick Goodall said that this was skewed by the strong sales before Christmas and the index incorporated data from the last three months. CoreLogic analysis of very recent sales, including unconfirmed sales, shows sentiment is changing rapidly with vendors unable to achieve the prices of 2021. This, of course, are national, national figures. The standoff seems to be developing between sellers who expected the kind of prices last year and buyers who are unwilling to pay so much as interest rates increased and confidence fell. So recent sales showed that prices had fallen about 2% from a high in November, which was in line with other market analyses, including Westpac. In the short term, it looked like buyers were going to win the standoff, with supply likely to continue to lift and demand likely to stay low due to stricter lending conditions cutting many hopeful buyers off from a home loan, Goodall says. Sellers may need to adjust their expectations or resign themselves to staying put for a longer period, he said. The longer-term balance of power would depend on the outcome of the review of the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act, which came into effect in December, Goodall said. So Commerce and Consumer Affairs Minister David Clark has ordered an inquiry into the impact of tougher new lending laws and regulations, while also accusing banks of failing to abide by responsible lending laws before December the 1st. So just by way of reminder, when it comes to lending now, and this is lending for any credit, could be store credit, could be for a house. Um, It says that... uh, Among other requirements, new rules require banks to examine three months' worth of the borrower's finances to assess their ability to make repayments. And this is what's been fairly well publicised, where where they look at people's lifestyles and uh, maybe what they buy or what they're spending money on, etc. Credit reporting agency Centrix data has shown that the number of home loans being issued a month has dropped by nearly a quarter, 23%, after the CCCFA came into effect. Now, remember, this legislation was designed to stop, uh, excuse the terminology, but your loan shark type people that are lending at very high interest rates to people who probably aren't able to pay it back or have difficulty paying it back. But of course, they applied the law across all lending sectors, and that's had a big effect from everywhere through buying a bed through Harvey Normans through to lending on a house. So what is the effect of these home loans Uh, being issued monthly. A drop in loans is worth about $2 billion a month, all money previously competing in the housing market that no longer is. $2 billion is $2,000 million. To put in context, uh, you know, if people are looking at buying around that million dollar mark, that is how much has dropped off. 
pretty huge. And Goodall says if mortgage lending was carved out of the CCFA changes, which were intended to protect vulnerable people from unscrupulous lower tier lenders, there may be more buyers in the market returning more power to the sellers. CoreLogic's index also highlighted that reserve bank lending for January showed a significant drop in mortgage activity. So the index is based on three months of sales data and it's more reliable that way as a long-term measure and it's not so much affected by sudden changes. But we'll see what happens in the next month to see. uh, My feeling uh, is that if the CCFA is not changed uh, and if it is not changed quickly, uh, the real estate market will crash, which I don't believe the government will want to happen. That would see a lot of people uh, in difficulty around the country. People potentially, as interest rates rise, finding it hard to pay the mortgages on the properties that are now not worth as much as they were. Now that's crystal ball gazing a little bit, but that's what will happen if they don't make some changes. And so how that fits in with the government's policy of having healthy homes for all New Zealanders, we'll see how that goes. Now the areas that are most at risk of a fall are um, the ones that had the biggest price increases. Now let's put that comment into a little bit of context as well. So they're talking about a market. Let's take uh, let's take Manawatu Wanganui for example, up 30% a year, 25 to 30% for the last couple of years. Yeah, they might drop, and they might drop uh, 10%, but it's 10% of, uh, of that massive change that's been had is, means that you're still uh, very in a very good position with property. Uh, it's also interesting to see the more expensive properties and how those go as the pool of uh, people that can lend, that amount of money uh, really has changed indeed. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen and uh, that's something else with regards to uh, the market. And I've got an article here that talks about what the border reopening might mean for the housing market. So will this help offset uh, some of the changes? Uh, Will there be, for example, buyers coming back to New Zealand who are pretty uh, cashed up, so to speak, and in a better position to buy? So commentators say it's unlikely to reignite a cooling housing market. Earlier in the pandemic, many people believed there'd be hundreds and thousands of expat Kiwis and aspiring migrants rushing to move to New Zealand. Now, if that was to happen, it would place additional demand on housing on a market still struggling to match supply with demand. But commentators say there could instead be a net outflow of people leaving the country once the barriers to re-entry are removed. For example, ANZ economists this week predicted about 20,000 New Zealanders a year could leave for Australia. Now it will be interesting to see um, with the world we live in if people will want to be back in New Zealand as opposed to living overseas in many cases. But if these 20,000 people are leaving to Australia, uh, that would put pressure on the already stretched labour market while adding to the household headwinds, they say. Given current record levels of consent, it could also be harder than expected, uh, harder than expected landing for the building industry. So you have to see what happens there. But the departing Kiwis could be balanced out by returning expats. Independent economist Tony Alexander says people are incorrect to think a million Kiwis living overseas will want to come back and buy a house. 
Many expats live overseas because of higher incomes and lower living costs, so any rush of people home will mainly be to visit family and friends rather to repatriate, he says. He says it's unlikely we will bring a big structural revision in people migrating back to New Zealand, and many people who are currently here will be attracted to Australia to work as they have been. He goes on to say, in a few months' time, we could see a negative outflow, and that might have some impact on housing demand, but it will generally be lost at the margins. He says, the biggest impact might be on the psyche of those involved in house buying and selling, he says. That's because it will help uh, sheet at home that the price boom is over and the market is correcting. Now, it's impossible actually to tell how many migrants uh, are going to make the move to New Zealand. Massey University's professor Paul Spoonie says migration numbers are likely to grow during the latter part of this year, but given economic and public health uncertainties, there will be a lot more caution about moving countries. So he's actually part of an international group which looks at population mobility and migration, and the group's view is that there won't be a significant increase in cross-border migration globally until 2023 or 2024, and that's understandable. People will probably wait to see how things settle down a bit. Moving on here, talking about the difficulties in lending, and this article is talking directly about the CCCFA, and this was written by John Bolton. Will the review of responsible lending laws bring the changes we need? Now, this is an opinion piece. He's the chief executive of mortgage advisory company Squirrel. So he says... Back in December, as the new responsible lending laws took hold, I made an off-the-cuff remark to journalist Rob Stock about starting a petition to get the Minister of Commerce, David Clark, sacked over the changes. Then he published that comment and I had to follow through with something. Ultimately, the issue at the heart of the petition was not Clark. Instead, it was an outlet for people to express their pain and frustration over the design of the new Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act and the heap of unintended consequences the laws created for everyday Kiwis. There was enough pressure on the government that a review into laws was launched without the permission even needing to be formally submitted. So that was a big win, but what remains to be seen is whether the review will deliver the change we need, and he says that he has his doubts. So the unintended consequences of the CCCFA laws are becoming more serious. We're seeing more instances of first home buyers locked out of the market, Older borrowers and business owners no longer able to access equity in their properties, couples going through a divorce who can no longer afford to keep the kids in the family home, and people with applications turned down for overspending at the supermarket. And I know for myself, I had uh, something turned down uh, buying a bed uh, by a credit company (laughs) using store credit, and just because of whatever criteria they use and the strictness, I ended up just paying cash. So it's a bit of a ridiculous situation. But he says under the new laws it's becoming increasingly hard to buy off plan as lenders are hesitant to take on the added risk of a settlement date more than 12 months out. In an environment where we're desperately trying to get more affordable housing in the market it's ridiculous. So they're concerned about lending given the CCCFA changes. Also mortgage brokers and banks mustn't be too thrilled because it now takes 50% longer to process a mortgage application because of all the extra paperwork involved. We should be encouraging fast digital processes and better outcomes for consumers. Instead, it's making things more harder and more expensive. 
Combine the impact of the CCCFA laws with higher interest rates and the wider housing market has slowed dramatically. So like I say, that will come through in the stats in the next couple of months. Very obvious. Many say it's a good thing, but this writer doesn't agree and it should never have come, even in part, as an unintended result of the CCCFA law changes. The Reserve Bank has far more appropriate mechanisms at hand to achieve the same result in a way that's predictable and controllable. In truth, he suspects there was no an actual cost-benefit analysis of a situation because otherwise he can't understand how the government could have justified the massive cost to our economy in pursuit of political idealism. So whether it gets the result uh, they want will yet to be seen. He says his greatest hope is that we'll see some well-considered changes come through the review, changes that strike a balance between looking after vulnerable borrowers and dealing with the unintended consequences of the law. And that's something which they'll have to balance. I mean, it could be a case of only applying to that law to the types of lenders that it was intended to, uh, which are what they call lower-tier lenders. So your banks are... uh, and mortgage brokers working with banks, you can get first-tier loans, and those should be fine. They already have pretty robust processes. In fact, uh, they, they always have had to make sure that they're not lending their own money at a risk where they're going to lose it. That makes sense. Second-tier lenders, uh, they are lenders that generally lend at a higher interest rate and make a premium uh, for that, and that's something which is also generally fairly safe, but they are the lenders if people can't get in the first tier. And then there's your lower tier lenders, which are your loan sharks, uh, short cash, and um, and those sorts of things. And that's where the law was intended to protect vulnerable people. So what a massive impact that was on the market, um, unintended. Now the Commerce Commission, in another article by Tom Puller-Strecker, has been told that house building costs are more than three times what they could be. So arguments over the cost of building new homes have begun in earnest, with competition advocate Tex Edwards telling the Commerce Commission in a submission that massive economies are possible. The watchdog is currently carrying out a market study into the building materials industry after voicing concern that there is a narrow choice of suppliers – some of which may be using loyalty payments and rebates to restrict competition for some key products. Edward said in a Monopoly Watch submission that its research indicated the cost of building entry-level social housing ran to about $3,800 per square metre in New Zealand, but should be about $1,200 per square metre according to international best practice. Monopoly Watch's submission said well-capitalised institutional international scalable sized integrated builders that could be wholly or partly owned by the government uh, would bring down costs. A large scalable player established to build about three to thousand three to five thousand properties a year could roll back the margin on margin culture and resolve the death by a thousand cuts conundrum that affects small builders, Edward said. The construction industry's ability to deliver affordable housing fell apart in the late 1980s and early 1990s, where builders shifted to bespoke and premium builds, he said. New Zealand has the best tradespeople in the world, but we're not using them properly. And Edward, who is best known for founding two degrees and breaking up Spark and Vodafone, our duopoly over the mobile market, promised to back up his arguments with evidence from unnamed industry insider. So... 
that's something that's part of those submissions uh, to the Commerce Commission. So uh, that's something where, gee, if we can really knock down that uh, price of building, if we can knock that down for public housing even, well, then our taxpayer's dollar could, instead of paying for one house, could pay for two or potentially three. So as well as the uh, credit control and financial, sorry, credit uh, Consumer Financial Act causing issues around uh, lending, there's also just the fact that consents have dropped um, and turning them into houses is still a bigger problem. So the number of consents issued for houses dropped in January, Statistics New Zealand said. They dropped 6.3% compared to a year earlier. The, despite the comparative fall, it's still the second highest for a January month in a 57-year time series. So, of course, the headlines tend to come out a bit scary. However, the cost of a building is significantly more now. Uh, some of the areas that had record numbers of consents to the year ending January 22 was Waikato up 26%, Canterbury up 34%, and Otago up 21%. So consents getting in there, which is great. Uh, What is happening, though, is that the interest rates are rising and the housing market is starting to cool. Uh, So the strong house prices gains in recent years are still providing a powerful incentive for developers to bring new projects to market. So, however, while consent issuance is running hot, the actual building activity will rise more gradually. That's because of shortage of labours and material that are providing a break on the pace of building activity and seeing costs rise rapidly. So that's all we've got this week for Property Matters. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm Greg Watson. You can Google Greg Watson Palmas North and find your way to me if you had any questions or thoughts. Otherwise, you can find the show on mpr.nz, one or two people's radio, or where all good podcasts are found. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you have a lovely week, and we'll catch up with you in a week's time. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the KiwiFruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.